Welcome to another installment of our podcast we call Craving Answers, Craving God. Today, we take up a topic that was requested by one of our podcast listeners. We'll take a look at another religion that is prominent in our world, that being Buddhism. An estimated 400 million people are Buddhists. Aaron is well informed on various religions in the world. So today, we'll honor this request from this dear listener and venture into somewhat different territory. Buddhism is the subject of discussion on this episode of Craving Answers, Craving God. I'm Chuck Rathert with the aforementioned Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor of St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Aaron, I know you're qualified to weigh in on this topic, but uh, give our listeners a description of your credentials. I don't know about credentials. I, I knew you'd say that. Stop being so humble all the time. Well, yeah, comparative religion is not, it's not the main focus of my study. So, I, I, you know, when I've studied in school, it's not been the main focus. Uh, but I did uh, several years ago, I, I guess about eight or nine years ago, I started teaching uh, religion at a local college in, in our town. And um, part of that's teaching comparative religions. And so I've in preparing for that class, I uh, spent a good deal of time studying Buddhism. I wouldn't call myself like the world's foremost expert on Buddhism, but I, 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 I know a bit about it. I'm pretty sure you know more than the rest of us. So um, when you teach your class, uh, this is something that you do every year? Is it just part of the curriculum? Every year you go through it again, and then the next year you go through it again? Yeah, it's a semester-long comparative religion class, yeah. So you're... You're pretty well versed, at least in the basics of Buddhism, right? Uh, yeah, the basics. Yep, I think I can talk about the basics. Suppose I were to say, you know what? We don't have any business talking about Buddhism in this otherwise Christocentric format here on Craving Answers, Craving God. We should just stick to the Bible, faith, Christian doctrine. What would you say? Uh, I, I never imagined that that was what we were doing uh, in this podcast. This po I, when we started doing this. Um, Chuck, I just assume that, I mean, the goal all along was to be to talk intelligently about Christianity to outsiders, and I, I didn't want to participate in building any sort of Christian ghetto where we were going to be, it's just, we were going to hunker down in here and just talk about things that were that pertain to us. We, we were called to live in the world as salt and as light, and I, Christianity, it, it exists in a context, and that context is the world. And so it always is speaking to that context. It's always speaking to the world. It's never just speaking to itself. In fact, when it does speak to itself, it's for the purpose of building up its witness to speak outside. It's always to be, uh, we're always to be announcing to the world that Jesus is Lord and if we ever get to the place where, as a Christian church, I'm not talking about our podcast, but for the for our Christians that are listening, if we ever get to a place where our primary focus is speaking inwardly, I think we're on our way to becoming irrelevant at best and and dead at worst. I, I look forward to talking to all different kinds of worldviews, and I think it behooves Christians to be. Um, nobody's an expert. No, no, you don't have to be an expert, and it's always appropriate to say, I, I don't know what's going on here. And anytime you're having a conversation, but Christians should be outward-facing and engaged in dialogue 
with all sorts of different people, with all, the, all, all sorts of different worldviews in order to, to make the proclamation that Jesus, the risen, crucified and risen Jesus is Lord. And I'm really glad that we get the opportunity to do that, you and I here in the podcast. So when you talk to your students about world religions, you talk, let's just say you talk about Buddhism, or today we talk about Buddhism here on our podcast, do you ever worry that, oh my goodness, we talked about Buddhism, what it is and what they believe, and somebody listening to us decided to become a Buddhist. That's not what we were trying to do. Do you ever worry about that? Uh, no, I don't. I So, so people become... People embrace different kinds of worldviews for all different kinds of reasons. And uh, people become a Christian, though, because the Holy Spirit has moved in their hearts to become a Christian. That The Holy Spirit has opened up people's eyes to, uh, to understand that Jesus is the Son of God who was crucified and raised from the dead for them to bring about God's kingdom, to save and rescue his creation. And that happens when they hear the word of God from the Bible. That's when the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit uses that. And my goal all along in talking about any worldview or religion is just to be as transparent as possible and as faithful. I, I, you know, so I, I will read from the Pali Canon when I teach Buddhism. That's the sacred scripture of, of Buddhist. I'll read from the Bible when I talk about Christianity. I'm fully confident as a Christian that the Holy Spirit will use the Bible to transform hearts. And I'm confident the Holy Spirit's not going to use the Pali Canon to convert people to Buddhism. But all that to say, though, is that uh, I'm always fascinated by all the good things that are in Buddhism and all the ways that Buddhist teaching overlaps with what the Bible says is true about humans. I'm not scared at all about. uh, I'm not scared at all about. other religions. Jesus is Lord, and if Jesus is Lord, that means that he's going to win. And so I'm always convinced that he's going to win. In John's gospel, he <clears throat> excuse me, he quotes Jesus as saying, I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Suppose I were to say that the followers of Buddha are simply other sheep, and that Jesus is bringing them along through a different path. Well, uh, so Jesus died for everybody. Jesus paid the sins for the whole world. The reality of that is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that one sacrifice for the whole world creates a new, fresh community of people. And, and Jesus said in that that text that you quoted from John's Gospel, you know, the result of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension, is that there will be one flock, one shepherd. So did Jesus die for Buddhists? Yes. Are Buddhists uh, free to, 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 to participate in the benefits of that? Absolutely. Uh, when they do, though, it will be through Jesus. It will be through Jesus. Jesus di- didn't die on the cross and rise from the dead so that he couldn't be Lord or or just Lord over some people. He died so that he would be the Lord over all creation. And when Buddhists come to confess that Jesus is Lord, it's Jesus that they're confessing is Lord. So, excuse me, you used the word overlap before. I'm not sure I caught that correctly. Did you say that there 
are places where the religion of Christianity and the religion of Buddhism intersect or have things in common? Yeah, for sure. It, it, this is humans are made in God's image. And so every human has a part of his or her worldview that is going to somehow connect with who God created them to be. There's going to be some sort of truth in there or value that they hold that God holds. And part of a Christian is to get them to see that this aspect of what they believe, of what they value, comes from God and can only be satisfied by God. And Buddhism is one of those things. There's lots of places where what Buddhism teaches is so good and spot on. And I actually think that Christians can learn about how to talk about um, sin and brokenness in the world, learn from Buddhists about how to do this. I'll I'll give you some examples. Um, Did you just say Christians learn from Buddhists? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I hope that Christians aren't so obnoxious that they think that they think that they can't learn from anybody and that they are 100% right and everybody else is 100% wrong. You think that statement might raise some eyebrows somewhere along the way for people who are listening to us? I I don't know. I don't know. I can't see them. Uh, They can go ahead and lower their eyebrows. (laughs) I don't know. All we can do is like talk about truth, I guess, or what, you know, to try to approach it as much as possible. And if it raises eyebrows, that's fine. Um, But it's true. If people were made in God's... So all truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. A, Christians shouldn't imagine that other religions have zero truth. That's just not the case because they're made in God's image. Are there... Well, we'll get specifics when we talk about Buddhism. B, Christians shouldn't imagine that they are 100% right. God is 100% right. God's word is 100% true. Christians frequently don't live up to that standard. And when they don't, they should say, we're wrong. And Christians are bad at saying we're wrong. I know all groups are, are bad at saying that they're wrong. But you and I are Christians, Chuck. So let's let's talk about Christians. Christians need to confess that they're wrong. And when they are wrong, to say, I'm wrong. And we, we do a bad job of that. But but And when you say Christians need to be able to confess that and say, I'm wrong, we're wrong, you don't mean... Christianity is wrong. You mean that people can misunderstand or miscomprehend what God's truth is in the Word of God and repeat it and get it wrong. Is that what you mean? Yes. God is true. God is right. God's Word is true and right. When the Christian church doesn't live up to that, they need to constantly be confessed. And that happens. That it happens every day because Christians are humans. And so as humans, they're wrong. I just said that humans have have this connection with God's image so that they believe or value, all of us believe or value things that are true. But since we're broken because of the fall, since we've rebelled against God, every single human being, even the smartest, wisest, most correct thinking human beings in the world have portions of what they think or believe or value that's wrong. And when when God's word shows me that what I think or believe is wrong, even if I'm the most devout Christian that I can be, it's, it behooves me to confess and say, I'm wrong here. And I sh- I, if I ever get to the point where I think, okay, I'm 100% right, I know that's not going to be correct. And even when I don't know the parts of my thinking that are wrong, I know that they're there because I'm a human being and I'm broken and I'm fallen. And that sort of humility is important, not before, not just before other human beings in, in our the way we talk to other human beings, but the way that we worship God to constantly be coming to God and saying, I am wrong. I need to be fixed. God, I need you. Okay, so we're not talking about Buddhism now. There's a little bit of a sermon there. Well, yeah, and let's come back to the original question. 
that there are similarities between Christianity yes. and Buddhism. Um, that may be just a novel thought to some of us. Uh, like I thought maybe that wasn't even possible. Right. Okay, so there are similarities. Can you give me like one or two just to give me a context? Yeah. The, the biggest one, the most fascinating one for me is the Buddhist take on brokenness and sin and its effects on the world. I, I find it absolutely fascinating, spot on, very, uh, very biblical. Um, we can talk about the dissimilarities in a bit, but so, so if you're familiar with Buddhism, the heart of the Buddhist faith is the Four Noble Truths. And the first of the Four Noble Truths uh, famously says, all of life is, um, in the Pali word, that, that the Buddha used here is dukkha. It, it, that, that phrase commonly gets translated in English as all of life is suffering. That's not really a fortunate translation because the Buddha didn't mean that all of life is pain and misery. The word dukkha actually that he used is the Pali word for bad wheel. And so he says all of life is dukkha, all of life is bad wheel. The image is of, imagine we've all been here, you go to the grocery store, you know, you're going to get a load of groceries you get a cart and one of the wheels is wonky. And I hate that. Yes, I hate that too. <laughs> and, and, you know, it may, maybe you've, you're a couple aisles into your shopping and you've got, you know, the bottom of the cart is lined with items and it's too late to go back and transfer. So you just deal with it. You just tough it out. You just tough it. You're pushing the cart in one of those carts that you've got to pull with one hand and push with the other to make it go straight. That's exactly what he meant, that all of life is like that. You can make it work. It's, it's not that it's miserable, but nothing ever works exactly like you want it to work. Nothing ever does because brokenness in the world. It's all uphill. It's all uphill, and it's all going offline. It gets done, but it's never done exactly the way you imagined it was going to be done. The reason he says this is true, this is the second noble truth, is that all of life is dukkha because all of life Dukkha, he says, is caused by, um, and he used the word tanha, the word for thirst. He, he meant craving, desire. All of life is suffering, if you will, because all of life is colored by desire. The reason why pushing that cart makes me so miserable in the grocery store is because I'm imagining a cart that just goes straight effortlessly, and I wish I had that. You know, I, I buy a new car and I think this is going to make me happy, but new cars get uh, broken, they get dirty, they get boring. Even if they don't break, they get boring. And I still crave that new car feeling, but the new car feeling can't stay. And so I experienced dukkha, I experienced uh, suffering. And uh, I, I just think this is, this, this is so much the way that, uh, that I experience life. Uh, this is as, as a broken human being, you know, I, I, I thought when I got married, I was going to be happily ever after in a fairy tale and it hasn't, that's dukkha. I thought when I took this job, it was going to be just so fulfilling and it hasn't been, that's dukkha. It's all been good, but none of it's been perfect. Perfect. And, um, the reason why is because I think along with the Buddha is because of desire. Humans from Adam and Eve onto me have craved We've craved power, we've craved pleasure, we've craved fulfillment, and none of our experience in a broken world is able to live up to that. And so what we have is we have suffering. You know what else we've craved? We've craved answers and we've craved God. 
Yes. I, was, I just had to say that. No, that's know, good. I, yeah. I don't know why, but so yeah. you've mentioned the Buddha several times. Who, yeah. who is the Buddha? Yeah. So he, he lived, uh, uh, he, he was, uh, uh, born and raised in Nepal. I, I want to tell his whole life story here. He's wealthy. He, uh, was raised in wealth. He thought that wealth was permanent. He realized uh, early on in his adult life that wealth, wealth and family and happiness weren't permanent. He decided to become an ascetic monk because he thought money and health, friends and family, pleasure, they all go away. I'm going to seek the permanent, the thing that lasts forever. So he devotes himself to uh, meditation and really kind of abusing his body, like training his body not to eat very much food. And uh, he started doing this and, and was very successful at meditation, for instance, but realized early on in his uh, monk project that uh, that too was uh, uh, temporary, that he craved the permanent, he craved permanence, but you know he would meditate and he would achieve this higher level of consciousness. And then he would come down off of it. He would wake up, you know, and have to go to the bathroom or get something to eat or, you know, start daydreaming and think, well, it's gone now. And um, he also realized that the, the more he beat his body up and, and, and the worse he fed his body, the sicker he was becoming and realized he was going to die if he kept treating himself this way and thought, I can't keep doing this. I, I can't keep living this. Like pleasure is temporary, but so is pain. And what I want is the permanent. And so he uh, sits down, he meditates, he has a vision, he, or a vision's the wrong way to say it. He has this transcendental experience where he uh, achieves enlightenment, he achieves awakening, which is that, that that's what the, his real name, his birth name is Siddhartha. The Buddha is a title, just means the awake one, the one who's woken up. He achieves this, um, this awake status and, uh, goes on to preach the four uh, the sermon with the four noble truths in it where he says he realizes that all of life is temporary we crave permanence and so we're perpetually dissatisfied that's the second noble truth the third noble truth is and this is where we're going to uh, I personally am going to critique him with Christianity the third noble truth is this is that the only permanent thing in the world as long as I exist he says I will not have permanence. I'm always in flux. The, 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 the permanence that I'm seeking can only happen if I don't exist, if I cease to exist. And the word that he used for that was a word that many, many of our listeners will be familiar with, nirvana, which is the Pali word for like the blowing out of a candle. And so the goal he set of life is to achieve non-existence, to, to deaden yourself to desire so to, to the extent that over the course of, and he was, Buddhism is kind of, uh, it flows out of the religion that we now call Hinduism, believing in reincarnation, that over the course of many lifetimes, you can train yourself to not have desires to the point where at the end of one life, you can be completely free of desire and cease to exist. You will no longer exist. That will be permanent. When you reach nirvana, you will never, ever exist again. It doesn't sound like a goal that I want to attain. Right. So uh, I've work, work, it's go through several lives in order to achieve non-existence. That, right. That, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yes. Uh, it's a different worldview. It's a different value. I, I would say as a Christian, look, I, I don't, I can talk about, if you, if you live in a world where there's a large amount of suffering, I can see 
that there's a sort of a minor draw towards just being done with all of it. Uh, especially if you're convinced that your entire life is suffering or dukkha. I, I can see the draw of that, but I, I think that there's a deeper human craving, which is I think what you're saying, Chuck, for just things to be fixed. What, so I desire pleasure. I want the opposite. I want the permanent eternal existence, not non-existence. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm heading in the opposite direction. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's one place where I would critique Buddhism with Christianity is, is that human existence is too valuable to be done with it. All of life is not dukkha. Uh, there is beauty there. And, and the reason why, second noble truth, why you crave is because there's a deep sense in each one of us that there is a cart that goes straight out there, that we were made for a cart that moves straight. And what we want is not to be done with carts completely in order to escape the bad wheeled carts. What we want is for the carts to be fixed. We want for we want permanent beauty, permanent righteousness, permanent pleasure, permanent holiness. We want all of these things. And this is what Christianity offers. And, and look, so this, does this prove anything? Absolutely not. But what I can say is I can say to, to, to a Buddhist friend, uh, and I have, I have a Buddhist friend who I had conversations about this quite frequently. Um, what I can say is that, okay, so what you want is nirvana. What Christianity offers is resurrection, not just individual resurrection, but cosmic resurrection. This is, I think, a more beautiful vision. I would encourage you to explore and think about what Jesus is offering you. So, I mean, this is one, maybe this helps the listeners understand where there's a place where Buddhism overlaps and doesn't overlap with Christianity. And the place where it overlaps, I as a Christian can have a conversation with the Buddhist at that level. And a Buddhist can have a conversation with me. And then the discussion becomes about what's the solution. And for Christians, the solution is resurrection. For Buddhists, it's nirvana. And the question is, which one is correct? Another key difference, and let me do this real quickly, and then I'll I'll stop. I, I know I'm rambling on here. Uh, for, for Buddhism, the way to get to nirvana, and for Christianity, the way to get to resurrection are completely different. In Buddhism, are we still on truth number three here? Is that where we are now? Is this your critique that you said that's where you're going to sort of enter? Is that where we are now? Truth number three is nirvana is the solution. Let's move on to noble truth number four. The way to get to nirvana is by following the eightfold path. And the eightfold path has to do with morality, it has to do with meditation, and it has to do with wisdom. And without unpacking the eightfold path here, because we, we don't have time, um, and you could just Google eightfold path Buddhism and figure out what's going on there. It has to do with right behavior, right thinking, and right orientation. So in order to achieve nirvana, there's a list of eight things that you have to be doing, and you can't get any help. This is a very, very important part of Buddhism is that you can't get any outside help. You yourself must achieve right speech. You must learn to not slander, to not gossip, to not lie, to not speak flippantly about serious subjects. We call that the Eighth Commandment. Yes. The, 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 uh, obviously, uh, all these religions, all the religions in the world share an ethical sort of basis. And if that's all religion was, was a way to teach ethics, it would be very, very boring. But the question isn't ethics. The question is how to achieve those ethics or what those ethics do. Those two, two, two flip side of the same coin. Um, so for Buddhists, in order to achieve nirvana, here's a list of things you have to do. 
You have to speak right. You have to have the right career. You, you, there's certain careers that you're, that you're forbidden from having as a Buddhist. There are certain actions that you're forbidden from doing. Not, you're not allowed to harm, for instance. You can't do damage to living beings. All these things are, are good. Uh, you have to meditate. You have to learn to meditate. You have to learn to concentrate while you meditate. You have to see the world with wisdom. You have to be mindful of what you do. When you're, when you're jogging, you must focus on jogging. When you're uh, eating food, you must focus on eating food. You must have the right vision of the world. Everything you do must be oriented around the Four Noble Truths. The reason why you meditate, the reason why you stop lying must be because of the Four Noble Truths. Well, there's this list of things to do. And as a human being, I find that list impossible. And I find, um, I find it uh, daunting. I, I find that I'm unable to meditate like I should. I, I, I agree with Buddhists that meditation is a, a, a wonderful- Which is also a cardinal to, point of the Bible. Yes, along with uh, not committing adultery and not harming and not lying. All these things that we, that, that I as a Christian and Buddhist similarly value. But the difference is, is that I've found that I can't do those things. And so my hope of achieving salvation is nil. I'm not going to achieve nirvana if it comes down to me having to meditate correctly. Um, as a Christian, though, the path to resurrection is God accomplishes it. For Christians, the hope of salvation is not non-existence, but but amplified in the Christian word here, glorified existence. That happens through resurrection. But I can't accomplish. I don't. Ha- I can't raise myself from the dead to accomplish it. Jesus is raised from the dead. God raises Jesus from the dead in order to accomplish resurrection, my individual resurrection, like I said earlier, as well as cosmic resurrection. It's guaranteed when Jesus rises from the dead. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do anything. And so you can see how Buddhism and Christianity, similar set of values, but with different goals. In Buddhism, ethics leads to nirvana. and Christianity, Jesus, not ethics, Jesus leads to resurrection. So we call... I, I'm trying to be careful here. I don't want to sound like a, a mean person. In Christianity, we have people who are a- attempting to attain glorification, attempting to go to heaven through keeping the law. We call them legalists. And, and they teach and they believe that this is one of the things that you have to do if you want to uh, be saved. You have to get better at keeping the law. Is that correct? Is that is that a similarity to Buddhism? If anybody thinks that they can become right, that they can become holy, that they can achieve resurrection, that they can achieve nirvana, that they can achieve moksha, if we're talking about Hinduism, that they can achieve any sort of fulfillment based upon who they are or what they do, they will be disappointed because humans are not capable of carrying that weight. We're fallen and we're broken, and the line of unrighteousness runs down the middle of each one of us, and we're just not capable of doing that. And whether it's a Christian, there's no difference. Whether you're a Christian and you're trying to be a good Christian by doing good things, whether you're a Buddhist and you're trying to achieve nirvana by keeping the Eightfold Path, whether you're a communist and you're trying to be a good communist by... Uh, uh, uplifting the proletariat. Every single one of us, are you, you're, uh, you're a materialist and you're trying to make yourself happy by, by making more money. 
whatever it is, you will end up being unsuccessful. You will not end up having enough money. You will not end up elevating the proletariat enough. You will never achieve nirvana. You will never achieve resurrection unless you have outside help from God. And um, I'm not saying that the proletariat being uplifted or making more money or nirvana is the goal. I'm just saying that any any attempts by any group to try to get to what is their goal, they will always be disappointed. I, I mean, literally, unless they're completely blind, to who they are, any any Buddhist worth his or her salt will say, I've not achieved this. And what I want to say is, that's right, nobody can achieve. Any sort of human efforts and attempts will never achieve the goals that were set out for it because all of life is dukkha. That's true. That's absolutely true. The solution, though, is not by doubling down and trying to keep the Eightfold Path. The solution is by Jesus, God himself, becoming a human, dying and rising from the dead to create resurrection. So is the Buddha, give me some short answers here. Is the Buddha God? No, he's a man. He's would never claim to be God. In fact, he is a famous- So they don't worship the Buddha? No, not at all. Uh, there's, so there's a couple branches of Buddhism. Um, one branch of Buddhism, uh, um, Theravada Buddhism is the most common in the East, would say, actually, you don't even really need the Buddha. There's a famous saying that says, what do you do when you meet the Buddhist on the road? What do you do when you meet the Buddha, not the Buddhist? What do you do when you meet the Buddha on the road? And the answer is you kill him, which is – it's not meant to be literal. But what it's saying is you don't actually need him. And the Buddha himself in his first sermon said that – he said, I'm like a canoe. I can get you my, – my teachings can get you across the stream. But once you're across the stream and you want to climb up into the mountains, you take the canoe and you set it aside. You, you, now you know what to do. Uh, so no, you don't worship the Buddha. The Buddha is just a man. He never claimed, he never asked for worship, which so, is very different than Christianity. Who do Buddhists worship? Well, so uh, you don't worship anybody. Uh, in fact, um, a massive chunk of the world's Buddhist, maybe even the majority are atheist. Now in, in the East, if you go to the East, if you go to Thailand, for instance, or, or to Myanmar, the Buddhism there is joined up with sort of an old school spiritualism that goes back before the advent of Buddhism in those cultures, the worship of spirits and, and, and demons and angels and those sorts of things. So there's a kind of a mixing, a syncretistic mixing there. But, but according to the Buddha, he didn't really speak about God. You don't need God. And the, my Buddhist friend that I referenced earlier is an atheist. The Buddha teaches you about reality and how to live in it. But you can't rely on God. If you're relying on God, you're not doing it yourself. And if you don't do it yourself, you're not going to achieve nirvana. So as Christians, we believe that we should be prepared, at least at some level, to share our faith with other people. Right. We call it evangelism. Some people are really good at it and do it often. Others, not so good at it. But none of us is able to say, I don't do it. I'm not. Don't ask me about evangelism. So if you encountered a Buddhist... If I encountered a Buddhist and I said, based on all the knowledge I've gained today from Pastor Miller, wow, Buddhism has a lot of people, 400 million people. It's a well-developed religion. It's existed for centuries. Uh, it's uh, defined in detail. They have their religion. I have my religion. It sounds to me like I should respect that, that I, you know, that's, this is not something that they do on a whim. Right, yeah, definitely. So I should leave them alone. So... They can be Buddhists. They let me be a Christian. 
all's right with the world. What that, do you say? That's a very American thing. To say, you just equated. I know you're speaking for uh, you're putting your words in somebody else's mouth. Uh, it's a very American thing to equate respect with leaving alone. That's that's how I feel about my neighbors. You know, like if you respect me, you'll don't come up on my porch. That's why we have you know? high fences. That's right. Yeah, high fences make good neighbors. <laughs> Actually, respecting Buddhism requires us to learn about Buddhism, to engage with Buddhism, to ask ourselves the questions what is true about Buddhism and what is false, and to talk to Buddhists and to listen to them, to actively listen to them, to ask questions, not with the goal of like confounding them or uh, uh, you know, making them look stupid, but to listen to them, to understand them. Now, I understand like Buddhism, if, if well, you can't learn about everything, right? So we're only, we, we, but I would, whoever it is in your community that you're going to come in contact with, maybe it's not Buddhist. Whatever that is, though, find out who that is. In the town that you and I live in, Chuck, it's a, it's a university town, and there's a lot of uh, students from India and Nepal here. And so learning about Hinduism is super key. What do they believe, and why is it, and where does it overlap with Christianity, and where does it not overlap with Christianity? Where are the places where Jesus would provide the answer to their goals and their dreams and, and what they know is true that their religion is not giving them? And then having these conversations, sometimes when we use the word evangelism, it, it raises uh, images of people stomping up onto people's chor- porches and pounding on the door and saying, repent or you're going to be blown up and I'm right and you're wrong. And that's not the way evangelism is done. It's done, to, you know, Paul, in Paul in the book of Acts, whether he goes into a synagogue He's going onto their territory and he's using their scriptures to talk to them about what truth is. Or whether it's Paul in Acts 17 in Athens, he's going onto their territory and he's talking to their philosophers and he's quoting their philosophers to try to make these connections. And what, what evangelism for Christians should be is the, this dialogue, finding out what people believe, creating the space by, by, by earning trust and respect to talk about what you believe. And to talk in the conversation of, when I talk with my Buddhist friend, to talk about the comparison between Christianity and Hinduism and how resurrection is different than nirvana. That's interesting. Let's talk about what, how, how does that look differently in the future and in now. And then to be able to say resurrection is actually created. So, so you're telling me that nirvana is something that you achieve by things that you do. It's interesting for Christianity Resurrection is achieved by something Jesus has done, his death and resurrection. And I'm not bullying there. I'm doing it in a, let's, uh, in a compare and contrast sort of way. But what I've just done is I've just announced that Jesus is Lord. I've just said Jesus rose from the dead and has fixed everything. And over the course of that conversation, I'm going to have opportunities to encourage them to investigate this, to think about this. And then as a Christian, I don't have to logically convince them that I'm right. I don't have to scare them into thinking I'm right. I can trust that the Holy Spirit is going to use the announcement, the gospel announcement that Jesus is Lord to do what he wants to do in people's lives. And I can just say, I'm, I can be in their lives. I can love them. I can befriend them. I can hang we out really with them. We really have the easier task. We do. We do. That's I was talking to. Uh, um, uh, I've mentioned this guy briefly. I was talking to a friend of my son's who's a communist and an atheist uh, recently. And I asked him, I said, so what's the solution? How how are you going to get, you know, you're living in America. How are you going to get your message? How are you going to get people to abandon capitalism 
for communism? And he said, the answer is education. And what he means is, I'm going to have to convince people I'm right. And I, as a Christian, I don't, I don't carry that burden. I don't have to convince anybody I'm right. In fact, I can convince them I'm wrong. Look, I'm broken too. I too have tried to like create my own identity and think that I can achieve my goals through my, I'm with you on this one. And what we both need is outside help from God. We need God to become a human being to come here and rescue us. That's what we need. Wouldn't that be awesome? Let me ask you one more quick question here. And that is, uh, I guess, twofold. Are Buddhists in the business of making converts the way we think of Christians being in the business of making converts? And what happens if you sit down at lunch with somebody that you met, maybe in your class or in your everyday life, and there's an opportunity for you to evangelize your Buddhist friend, and your Buddhist friend is thinking, hey, this is an opportunity for me to evangelize my... uh, What happens then? Those are the best conversations. I mean, whether it's you're talking about religion or you're talking about whatever, any ideology. Are you intimidated by that when somebody else starts pushing as hard about their religion as... And, and when I say pushing is hard, I don't mean putting them in a headlock, but I, I, you know. No, I'm not intimidated at all by people who say, hey, this is Some what of I us think. are intimidated by that moment. I, I think maybe we're intimidated as Christians because we're not convinced that Christianity is true. Maybe sometimes. It, it feels tenuous to us. Well, every Christian, there isn't a Christian anywhere that doesn't have some level of doubt yeah, sometime, for sure. right? Yeah, for sure. So that that can be intimidating. Uh I don't know. But part of it, too, is the intimidation is, uh, you know, the first time I flew on an airplane, I didn't know what to do, you know? Like, what, do, do, do I go to the ticket counter? Or what do I do with my luggage? Am I going to be asked, what's going? where do I go? I don't even know, you know? I'm assuming there's signs there. And then you fly once, and you're like, oh, that's how you navigate Been an airport. Been there, done that. Been there, done that. Uh, and it's the same. It's, it's that, that so, so much of life is like that. I've always found that my first day on a job is super awkward kind of standing around, not knowing what to do. And then you get into it and you're like, okay, I can do this. Um, Conversations with people who have different worldviews in the same way. It's always kind of awkward. But then when you start to actually befriend somebody and it is, oh, I can do this. And if I don't have an answer, I can be like, oh, that's interesting. I don't know. But the best conversations are when you're talking to people who disagree with you about what you disagree with. Anytime too, uh, if anybody ever gets really belligerent and angry I usually just say, and I, this has been super rare in my life. Just like, okay, let's let's not talk about this. This is not going, you know. This is let, let's just let's back up and let's talk about the Cardinals or some, you know, sports or whatever. Um, but if it's a real like a friend of yours, like having those conversations is really fun and really easy. And in the those conversations are the space where the Holy Spirit works. Okay, let's very quickly just review. This has been, to me, this has been fascinating. I've enjoyed uh, this conversation. No good. Um, We've kind of been, I I won't say we've been all over the place, but we've touched on a number of different things. Can you just give me a a paragraph crystallizing the difference between Christianity and Buddhism and why you think that Christianity is superior to Buddhism? Buddhism and Christianity agree exactly on the problem with humanity and the cause of the problem. The problem is brokenness. The problem is things don't ever work the way in your mind you think they should. The the reason why that is is because we crave, we desire, we want things to be right. We want things to work. We want that new car to make us happy or that new relationship or that taco to actually fill us up permanently. 
and they don't. So far, Christianity and Buddhism uh, agree. Where they disagree is Buddhism says the solution is you can't exist anymore, and the way to get there is by following the Eightfold Path, the rules, the law of Buddhism. For Christians, the answer is perfected existence, existence made holy, existence made permanently pleasurable, permanently satisfying, intellectually, psychologically, relationally. The, 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 the shorthand word for that in the Christian Bible is resurrection. And the way that happens is not by us following the rules of Christianity, but by God himself becoming a human being to die along with us, for us, and rise from the dead. You've been listening to this episode of Craving Answers, Craving God, and we're thankful for the listener who suggested today's topic. If you have something you'd like us to address, you too can, subge- uh, can suggest a subject for discussion. Simply email me at this address, chuckrathert at stjamesglencarbon.org. For Pastor Aaron Miller and our production manager, Larry O'Leary, I'm Chuck Rathert.